Hi, welcome to Forbes India's The Startup Fridays podcast. I'm Hari Arakli, tech editor at Forbes India. In these podcasts, we'll bring you conversations with entrepreneurs who are finding opportunities in solving a variety of problems in multiple areas. We will also talk to investors from venture capital companies and other folks who are playing a significant role in India's maturing startup scene. You can find a new episode every Friday evening. You can also find us live on Instagram every Friday morning. Stay safe and happy listening. Our guest today is Sharath Potharaju, co-founder and CEO of Mobstack, which he started more than 12 years ago, along with Ravi Pratap Madhimsethi. Previously, uh, he'd worked in investment banking at companies including Merrill Lynch and Fieldstone Private Capital. Sharath has a degree in chemical engineering from the Indian Institute of Technology, Madras, and a master's degree in technology management and entrepreneurship from Duke University. He's also a certified uh, Section 4 strategist, and I'm curious to ask him about it as we go along. Sharath, uh, welcome uh, to the show, and thank you so much for making time for this. No, absolutely, Hari. Thank, thank you very much for that uh, detailed introduction and pleasure is all mine. It's always exciting to talk to um, uh, fellow entrepreneurs who are listening in. All right, excellent. So to uh, get us uh, started, uh, for uh, people who are not familiar with uh, your work at Mobstack, maybe you could tell us a bit about how you started the company. What was the idea that you started with and why you found it interesting at that time? Sure. Uh, so I, I like you rightly explained I think Mobstack is a big uh, has gone through a pretty long journey and uh, maybe I'll focus on the on the on the recent part which we've obviously as uh, every entrepreneur and every technology startup we went through our own uh, you know ups and downs uh, we've learned uh, some hard lessons on the way uh, but our focus has always been one thing which is is there a way in which the mobile device can fundamentally change the way we uh, live and behave and that's that's kind of what we've been doing so what currently Mobstack does or uh, the product that we launched about three years ago that has been growing really well is the idea of how you can make the mobile device the center of your physical world. Uh, you know, the, over the last 10 years, we don't, uh, everyone knows that the mobile device has played a fantastic job in the way uh, it helps you consume content, helps you consume commerce. But we believe that the mobile device has still not done the job it can to kind of help us reimagine the way it can help us connect with the physical world around us. And what we are essentially doing uh, with our platform is the ability to use the mobile device that is in everyone's hand or in everyone's pocket to kind of enrich the experiences that they can with the, in the physical world. So the easier way to be able to explain this is we are what we're doing is connecting the physical world to the digital world. And uh, that's what we're trying to do for brands and businesses um, across the world. Mm. I, I want to uh, at some point go back uh, to the earlier years of Mobstack as well, because like you said, you know, fellow aspiring entrepreneurs would be interested in those earlier years as well. But uh, the product that you've launched and developed over the last three years, uh, and and you said, you, uh, you know, it's basically about connecting the physical and the digital world uh, in practice. Uh, what does that uh, translate to? Uh, give us a sense of uh, uh, what this technology is and how your customers actually use it and what kinds of companies and businesses use it. Uh, sure. So what we've essentially done here is uh, taken technologies that are actually already present on your mobile device. So the ability to, for example, 
scan a QR code or the fact that you will be able to use NFC or geofencing or Bluetooth. These are all technologies that are actually already available on a mobile device. And as you know, every, almost every uh, human being, uh, adult human being actually has a mobile device with them. So what we have essentially done is used these technologies that are there on the mobile device and created that as an engagement channel for brands and businesses. And the easy way to be able to take this is, I think the the fastest growing technology for us is the QR codes. And QR codes as a technology has been around for more than 30 years. But uh, I, I think uh, partly because uh, iOS and Android uh, essentially made it mainstream by kind of integrating that into their operating systems. And coupled with that, because of the pandemic, there has been a lot of tailwinds for the use of QR codes as a technology. So what has happened because of that is we are seeing a huge growth in, uh, in, in, in the way uh, QR codes are basically being used by brands. A uh, good example that I can give you is we have a lot of consumer packaged goods or as it's called uh, FMCG brands in India who are using QR codes on their packaging. And the way they do that is they put QR codes on their packaging to be able to educate uh, consumers about their sustainability practices or the, the how the product essentially is built to be able to build a certain level of loyalty with the customers. They are also the intent here is to be able to help brands be able to connect uh, with the consumer directly vis-a-vis rather uh, because today as you know most brands essentially sell through physical retailers and what amount of understanding on what data that consumers uh, brands actually know about their end consumer is very little so one of the things that we are enabling is using technologies like qr codes nfcs etc through the mobile device we are helping these brands and businesses build a direct relationship or a, as it's called direct to consumer building a direct relationship with the consumer helping them understand it instead of knowing that two people or 10 people bought your box of coffee or what it will help them understand the fact that someone with a profile like Hari, someone with a profile like Sharath has actually bought this particular product. That will help consumers or consumer brands, for example, understand more about what their end consumer usage looks like. That is one good example. The other good example is we've, we've seen QR codes and NFC technologies as some kind of a hook to kind of, uh, you know, understand real world intent i mean the way we have been imagining this is if you walk into a supermarket today right and you want to buy something off the shelf and you have a choice of four or five different products in front of you what is that you typically do whether you're buying a large television or a or some cheese or chocolate or biscuits what's the first thing you do you pick up your phone you search in google or your search engine of your choice to be able to influence and and make a decision based on reviews that you're reading in google and what is search providing to you? Search is providing a certain intent. It's telling you that this individual is in the market to be able to do something. Now, what we are doing, for example, is using technologies like QR codes, where one, we are allowing the, the brand to control that experience. Instead of you going and searching in Google and learning more about whether I should buy this particular product or not, I want to be able to, uh, I want to, be able to directly be able to scan it and know more about this product, that's one. So the second thing it's also able to tell you with certainty is just like how search is able to deliver intent in the, uh, in, the, in the digital world, 
uh, scanning a QR code or tapping an NFC tag is providing or teaching intent in the physical world. What we want to be able to do is be able to educate and tell brands and businesses here is what your consumers or your customers are interested in doing in the physical world so that they can adopt uh, and kind of adapt their products or offerings in that direction. Can take this a little uh, one step further. I mean, if I'm your everyday consumer and I, like you said, I pick up a box of coffee powder and uh, I scan a QR code, uh, uh, today, uh, does it tell me if uh, this coffee has been made, for example, in a sustainable manner? I mean, more people are now getting interested in these kinds of things. Uh, and then what is that feedback loop like? Absolutely. So I think I think that's that's one fantastic use case. So wh- one of the things that we uh, we are able to do for the brand is to be able to to be able to give you the ability to communicate whatever you want through these QR codes. If you just take QR code as a specific example, uh, a big use case of that is the ability to be able to tell them more about the particular product that you have in mind. Uh, maybe uh, the other opportunity that you have is to be able to do a post-purchase engagement, which is you bought the product, you open the product, there is something inside it with a QR code. You say scan, learn more, subscribe to the product, or you know join a community of fellow uh, who are interested, they're excited about you know sustainable coffee or something like that. So to be able to build a direct relationship, to be able to improve loyalty or to be able to do simple, straightforward lead generation where you scan a QR code and say, jump in and we will, you will win a subscription to a one year uh, subscription for coffee or something like that. So, so there are several ways to be able to essentially do this. But what we have essentially seen is brands have the flexibility to do this using our platform. They do a lot of A-B testing to be able to teach them more about the product, to be able to collect uh, you know, direct uh, leads for their end customers who are really uh, buying the buying the uh, the product. the The other thing also that's important to keep in mind is that, as you know, if you just take packaged goods, I mean, we have customers across various industry verticals. But if you just take packaged goods, which is obviously a, a four trillion dollar market across the world, if you look at packaged goods, obviously every packaged goods has a barcode, right? The focus for the barcode association globally is to be able to replace these barcodes with QR codes over the next five or 10 years. That's going to actually happen. And the reason for that to really happen is twofold. One is the fact that a QR code actually has a lot more data that it can hold versus a barcode uh, because barcodes are typically only alphanumeric in nature. And the more important reason is like what you rightly mentioned, Hari, is that if you want to be able to scan a barcode, you need to actually have hardware to be able to do that. Barcode serves the purpose of a very B2B internal use case for tracking, doing supply chain, etc. But consumers cannot really engage with the barcode. Whereas a QR code, every mobile device in your hand can scan it and you will actually be able to learn more. So replacing a barcode with a QR code is going to happen. And the intent with that is now any consumer, because consumers particularly in 2020 and beyond, are very interested in sustainability, very interested in knowing where this product was made, know where this product was before it got into their hands. The ability to be able to do that, to be able to give that kind of transparency is very critical for the brand too. So I think that's the kind of migration that's actually really happening from from a technology perspective itself. And what we are essentially enabling as a marketing platform is enabling that kind of transition and enabling that kind of behavioral uh, change that's happening in consumers for the brands. 
you've uh, recently uh, mentioned on uh, twitter for example that you've uh, hit your uh, 5000th customer uh, give us a sense of uh, the scale of operations at mobstack today so mobstack is uh, what we call a software as a service company uh, i think uh, given the spectacular stellar debut of freshworks uh, yesterday for those of you in the technology and the startup ecosystem should be quite familiar what saas is uh we are uh, now actually inching close to 10000 customers we are uh, growing pretty fast uh, i think by the end of next month we should be at 10000 customers we have about 10000 customers um, all the way from small medium businesses mom and pop uh, stores restaurants uh, retail shops uh, to pretty large um, you know fortune 100 brands like nestle and nike and uh, and several other large uh, brands are really using us we have customers in about 120 countries um, right now mobstack is uh, predominantly a op, uh, we have two offices one office in new york and the other office in bangalore but having said that uh, given the new hybrid remote work environment we are uh, we are leveraging we are actually st- started to build a team in philippines uh, we have a team in uh, we have hired people in turkey we have hired people in uh, in mexico so it's it's been a pretty fantastic experience actually uh, some of the uh, i would say silver linings to the pandemic which is realizing some amazing talent that's available in different parts of the world and so we're not only is our customer base growing across these 120 plus countries but our employee base is also really growing very well across some of these countries that i mentioned Nike might be a good example to illustrate how uh, very large organizations uh, use uh, Mobstack. Maybe you can tell us a bit about that. Unfortunately, Nike is one of those which I can't really explain more than what. But let 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 me let me give you a better example. Uh, I think uh, Nestle is a good example to, that we can talk about, which is uh, Nestle is a brand which all of us are very familiar with. They have uh, uh, they have we work with nestle in north america and nestle has a uh, different uh, different brands of water bottles and <clears throat> if you look at uh, what nestle wants to be able to do is to be able to explain in a very effective manner uh, you know uh, using qr codes on their water bottles to be able to build a association with the end consumer it's a very generic product it's just a wa- it's just consuming water but is there a way in which based on the time of the day day of the week you can essentially deliver engaging content when you scan that qr code to be able to tell you how this water was packaged the journey that water has been before you essentially being consumed that's when you build that story and when you build that story is when the band really stands out and that's kind of what customers brands are trying to do in the in nestle's case that's essentially what it does it does two things one is it tells you the story of the brand it tells you about how what they are trying to do from a sustainability standpoint which is very crucial for millennials right millennials really care about what this particular brand stands for whether it's bottled water or clothes anything across the spectrum they really care about that and you want to be able to tell them a story tell them about what your values are and that's what nestle is able to do really well the second thing it also wants to be able to tell you is to be able to give you time of the day day of the week it's it's able to give you a a uh, more um uh it's able to uh, for example if you're opening a bottle of water in the afternoon you know in the middle of the week uh odds are you're still working so you could when you scan the qr code it will take you to an advertising campaign which basically tells you you know hydrate yourself before you crush the day or something like that 
So that makes you relate a lot more to the brand. So what we are essentially helping here is to create every the package itself or a package bottle water in this particular case itself as a medium of advertising or a medium of communication. So we are able to help brands take what they already have existing channels and convert them into powerful communication channels and powerful uh, engagement channels. And that's 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 one of the good examples that I can give you uh, from Nestle. I just want to understand uh, the tech uh, value stack, if I can put it that way, uh, in terms of uh, which are all the points where uh, mob stack makes a difference. And there's a QR code at one end on, on the box of any product. And there is uh, your customer at the other end, which, you know, which is manufacturing those products. So, so from the QR code to your customer, there are, I guess, many different touch points. What are the kinds of technologies that you are bringing to bear and what do they exactly do? Got it. That's a, that's a great question, Hari. So the way, so imagine what we have essentially built is basically a, a horizontal marketing stack marketing stack and that marketing stack enables you to be able to run various kinds of engagement campaigns now on top of that or maybe below that are four verticals of technology that enable you to do run these marketing campaigns there is the qr codes there is the nfc which is near field communication there is geofencing which is the idea of drawing geofences um, that runs on gps technology that's there near mobile device and there is Bluetooth, which all of us are very f- familiar with, Bluetooth beacons. Now, what we have essentially been able to do is taken these core four technologies and be able to tell brands and businesses that depending on your need, depending on your use case, you can use any of these four technologies to be able to drive that kind of engagement. So, for example, again, if you take uh, 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 an example like uh, Nestle again, Nestle has a brand manager uh, who is basically sitting uh, and decides that he ha- he or she has to put a QR code in on their packaging, wants to put a QR code inside their physical locations uh, in their uh, in in supermarkets that they essentially sell. Now, once they essentially go and plaster this QR code, we what we do is we essentially create these QR codes. And then you can attach campaigns to these. So in the past, what used to be present is these just static QR codes that you create a QR code and you point it to a specific URL like ForbesIndia.com. But our URLs are what are called dynamic in nature. So you can create a QR code, paste it, and from our dashboard, you can continuously change the campaign. So in the morning, you scan this QR code. It might point to a certain direction. It might tell you to follow us on Instagram. In the evening, the same QR code when you scan it, it can tell you to, uh, you know, uh, tell you to drop an email address to collect feedback, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that kind of campaign you can attach to each specific QR code, and that's where you run a campaign just like you're running campaigns on Google Ads or something like that. And the third part is to be able to collect data, which is all the data that you're essentially collecting. What, where are the scans happening? Where is the engagement happening? Which physical location it's happening? Can can you re- basically uh, set cookies? Can, uh, can you essentially retarget this individual? One of the other things that we can do, for example, is to be able to help brands uh, retarget. That means if Hari walks into a supermarket and scans a QR code or an NFC tag 
uh, or taps an NFC tag at a physical location for a particular product, I won't know it's Hari. I won't know your personal information, but I will be able to retarget you online. So you will be able to see an ad on Google or on Facebook. Uh, uh, for your uh, for this particular product, you will be able to see advertisements. So what we are able to do is convert real world intent that is actually present in the physical world, what people are doing, and convert them into digital cohorts that will help brands be able to engage the, with their end consumers in a better fashion. Does that give you a broader perspective of you know what we're trying to do? And 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 I know I've been giving QR codes as an example, but you can do the same thing with NFC. You can do the same thing with geofencing. You can do that with Bluetooth beacons, etc. All these technologies actually have their own advantages and disadvantages. So obviously, based on the specific use cases that we see, you uh, you are able to kind of you know uh, adapt uh, to that uh, that technology. So now let, let's go back to uh, like the early years uh, of uh, um, Mobstack. Uh, what did you start with uh, initially as your sort of minimum viable product, and give us a sense of how that evolved. Cool. Uh, so I think one of the our initial minimum viable product was with respect to a Bluetooth beacons. Uh, what I mean by that is, I wanted to be able, we we realized that there is a tremendous need for us to be able to create, um, create the create the mobile device as the center of the physical world. We we knew that every brand and business was very excited about the idea of connecting the physical and the digital worlds. And and when when Apple introduced I, the iBeacon technology, we thought this is this is going to be transformational in the way physical and digital worlds essentially connect with themselves. So we essentially started there, but very quickly realized that there is a lot of limitations around Bluetooth beacons, and the reason was the limitation was that one of the first things that you require for to be able to use the Bluetooth beacon technology is that you as a brand or a business needs to actually have its own application. You have to have your own app on the mobile device, which is a limiting factor for many brands because how do you actually get an app on someone's uh, consumer's device? So one of the learnings that we had going through the whole, uh, essentially when we started this Bluetooth beacons and started getting out there and trying to push the technology was the fact that the use case that every customer had was very, very strong in the, in the sense that that is something that they really, really wanted to be able to solve, which is the idea that how can I interact with my uh, with my consumers in the physical world? That is something that they really, really mattered to them. But the thing that really they struggled with is how do I build an application? How do I push this application down to the consumers? Is there no more? Is there no effective way to be able to do this outside Bluetooth? Uh, is there no other effective way to be able to do this? That's that is basically when we realized that the use cases are very strong, but the technology is not really the hitting the you know classic product market fit. So then we kind of you know broadened our horizons and said, okay, if you continue to look at mobile device and 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 and, and the fundamental hypothesis that the mobile device has to play that core role of being the center of the physical world. What are the other technologies that are there on the mobile device that can still serve that purpose? And that's kind of how we basically realize that iOS and Android are now supporting natively, are supporting the ability to scan QR codes, are to be able to going to help you uh, support NFC because most of the latest mobile devices have been supporting NFC uh, chips, etc. And taking that 
and marrying it to the use cases that our beacon customers were doing is when we said let's broaden what we are doing expand it beyond just bluetooth and beacons and expand it to engaging with qr nfc and the power of qr codes is the fact that there is no hardware required the fact power of the qr codes or nfc is the fact that you don't really need an application they it works very directly from the consumer uh, from the consumer's mobile device and the power of the fa- is the fact that it's a very seamless experience which is either with uh, either on ios or on android it works very very seamlessly and the last point is the fact that it is a very uh, pull based mechanism which is it's not just about consumers basically walking into a physical location and some notification being thrown at their face but it is basically the consumer taking a step in the direction to scan or tap or create that kind of an engagement and when you do that essentially you are certain about the fact that uh the consumer who's creating that engagement has a lot of high intent there is a certain purpose behind it so that's kind of how we we navigated the whole product market we started with bluetooth beacons tried to solve that problem understood the power of the use case and how brands really wanted to do it but realized the limitation of the technology asked ourselves how else or what are the other technologies that are available that can solve the same use case and then brought in qr and nfc and then it's been a, a fantastic uh, what we call a product led growth right we have a self service plan we have a free trial and uh, the success for most saas companies has been product led growth and that's something that i truly personally champion which is the idea of how do you get your customer into your fold help them try out your product very seamlessly on your website without actually getting a sales person involved first getting them uh, you know putting their foot into the into the door and understanding our product and then only then asking us questions and that's kind of what's really helping us grow really really fast so let's switch gears a little bit talk about your uh, personal entrepreneurial uh, experiences a little bit uh, you were a, uh, you trained as a chemical engineer you were a successful uh, investment banker uh, you also uh, had a brief stint to janagraha i saw on your linkedin profile uh, so so what prompted you to turn entrepreneur i think i think i i look at everything as a stepping stone um uh, i mean one of my favorite quotes is you know the past is the prologue as in you know everything that you've done so far is basically only a se- stepping stone into what you're going to do in the future and i've been uh, listening to this uh, uh, listening to the recent ebook uh, sorry audio audio book called the range i don't know if you've listened to that recently but it's a, it's a book with that talks about being uh, how you know generalists are basically thriving in a world of uh, specialists and long story short i think the diversity of uh, experiences really can pay you pay off uh, extraordinarily well i think that's an in many ways uh, i mean i i can't really call myself a chemical engineer right now because i've not really done anything <laughs> related to chemical engineering in 20 years but uh, I think chemical engineering um, uh, investment banking is something I always wanted to do. I I I my father is a banker was a banker and and he basically made me realize the value of capital markets and you know what banking can do and I thought it's always a fantastic stepping stone to learning how uh, great companies are built and I had a fantastic experience working on Wall Street. So from there I kind of you know being an entrepreneur is something I always wanted to do it. Uh, I think 
I don't come from a business family. My both my mother and father are professionals. My mom is a teacher, and my mom my father is a banker. But I think the reality is very early on. I learned about. I think I read a book. Uh, learned about entrepreneurship, and it was very fascinating for me. And uh, I I felt that entrepreneurship is a way that you can create a disproportionate amount of amount of impact, or kind of you know make your own small dent in a in a significant way. and i thought that's kind of the vehicle that i would really wanted to follow and that's that's where when i was i think right in my undergrad when i was 19 or 20 years old i said you can i'm going to be an entrepreneur a lot before i actually knew what entrepreneurship was if i knew everything it it took to be a successful entrepreneur i don't think i would have done it because it is it's not what it seems from outside what's your earliest memory uh in in terms of uh, you know what you wanted to do uh, as a profession or you know work in life uh, how back can you remember in back into your childhood hmm that's great uh, that's a great i think if i look back really early early days i would say i wanted to be a banker before i knew what it was and i think that's a lot to do with my influence of my father being a banker himself i used to get uh, my father used to get the economist magazine at home um i barely understood anything in the magazine i would argue even now i don't really understand more than 30 40% of what's written in the magazine but uh i think it had a very profound impact in the way i i looked at things and uh, it was quite exciting to me on how markets functioned i was exposed to capitalism and i knew that the cornerstone of capitalism is the idea of building large corporations and that kind of really excited me and from there it went into okay i should start my own business or i should start my own company and that's that's how the transition really happened mm. was mobstack uh, your first company or were there other attempts before you got to mobstack yeah i think yes and no i think yes because yes it is the first company but i think uh, given that we've been uh, at this uh, over the last uh, decade we've gone through several avatars uh, and i would say we've uh, my co-founder ravi and i joke about the fact that we have started two three different companies within the same brand and the, it just does def- definitely feel like that so we've gone through this journey of ups and downs in a significant manner but uh, yes the short answer is mobstack is my first company and i would like it to be my last yeah i mean certainly the 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 qr code product that you have developed over the last 3 years that i mean i it felt like it was a big uh, uh, new step uh, uh, in terms of the evolution of your company i mean and and if you look at the other uh, uh, pivots as startup uh, folks like to call it uh what were some of your biggest uh, takeaways over the last 12 years at mobstack i think my biggest takeaway and and some of the things that i've been fundamentally blatantly wrong about in the past and i think entrepreneurs really uh, also sometimes fall prey to is the fact that you tend to fall in love with your product and obsess more about your product than with the problem right and that is really really uh it's like what they say it's like drinking too much of your kool-aid that is a huge problem right and you have a tendency particularly if you're young and naive you tend to think that you know the market will come around your product is so awesome and so beautiful and so magnanimous that people will eventually realize how awesome it is but the reality is it never is right it is because you've fallen so much in love with your product that you really forgotten what the customer's problem is and i think one of the th- I, i think the first uh, first few years was spent in trying to understand that and we learned that uh, the hard way which is we built some great products we we co- we felt we were ahead of time 
we felt we were uh, we were not marketing it correctly etc etc but the truth of it is was that maybe it was not the way the problem needed to be solved or maybe the problem to begin with didn't really exist for the product that we were trying to build and so i think the the biggest la- lesson for me right now is i spend more time listening to what customers are complaining about rather than how amazing our product is and if you put your ear to it you will there are so many different ways to learn about what your customers are saying not about your product specifically but about their pain points right i spend a lot more about the fact that uh, there is a lot of um, what do you call uh, there's a lot of learning that can bring that can be br- uh, brought about by just uh, listening to what your customers are saying and that's something that i keep telling every every uh, every entrepreneur out there focus on the problem don't focus on your product as much even in terms of uh, funding uh, you all have been uh, pretty frugal uh, i mean these days companies get a lot of money uh, very quickly uh, but you, you you've been pretty conservative so what what's that approach about i think we've taken a very uh, i think in the in the in the early years i think again because of uh, of the way we looked at it and because of our focus around silicon valley styled uh let's go behind growth at all cost etc we learned the hard way that at the end of the day the thing that keeps you really honest is revenue and cash right and so what we wanted to do uh, halfway through our uh, when ravi and i sat down to understand what was really not working for us we realized that you know we were chasing all these vanity metrics which didn't really matter so we said okay is there a way in which we can take the traditional indian outlook about cash is king and at the same time marry that with the outlook of building a global world class technology product company and i think that's kind of what we've tried to do here we've been very frugal like you rightly said we have less than i think at last count we are 30 plus in employees so 35 employees right now uh we've we hire very high quality people but we are growing pretty fast and we're able to do that uh, profitably and i i don't think i would really want to change that anytime soon you mentioned all the uh, highs and lows so can you recall one point where you felt uh, you know really uncertain and very uh, low about uh, the future of mobstack and uh, uh, maybe you can also tell us about uh, what was the high point high point um low point i think uh, for us let me think there are so many low points but uh, if you have to talk about one specific thing so uh, when we were running our beacon product uh, we had a good amount of revenue running on this particular google beacon service that was running it was very highly reliant on that and uh, one fine day uh, basically google said for whatever reason they decided okay i don't think we want to run the service anymore because we have not got good feedback we feel there was a lot of spammy i mean they had their fair share of reasons it's something that both my co-founder ravi and i decided new was going to come but we had a huge amount of revenue indexed to that service and they turned the switch off and over overnight we lost i, th- I would say about 60% or 70% of our revenues uh and that was a pretty big blow i mean the, i thought there was too much reliance I think one of the biggest learnings for me was the fact that what frustrated me more not was not the fact that it happened but the fact that we were certain about it but we didn't really act as fast as we should have. It is one of those things where you know you you have things going well in a certain way you have a certain gut instinct that tells you that you know it's not going according to um, what do you call it, it should uh, 
it's not going according to uh, it doesn't look as good as it should and you should act on that gut and we did not and we got hit really bad and we took really a body blow but uh, yeah that those were uh, difficult moments but, but uh, i'm glad we were able to you know uh, pivot i would not really say call that a pivot as much as expand our offering and and as they say rest is history one high point or the high point so far high points i think every day is a high point for me uh i i think for me every day is a high point i i wake up in the morning super stoked about it right now uh it's it's difficult for me to uh, on talk about one specific high point uh, so as an entrepreneur one of the things you have to train yourself is basically wake up every day saying today is going to be great today is going to be better than yesterday and if it's if it's not then then bad luck otherwise you should every day think get up and say tomorrow is going to be better i that that sense of optimism is something that's really crucial and uh, sometimes you sometimes you have to be really foolishly romantic about it so when you when you ask me what is your high point i, I genuinely mean it by saying today is a high point tomorrow is going to be even a higher point and that's the way i think about it excellent uh, a few uh, rapid fire questions uh, but before that i i did say that i want to know about uh, what it means to be a section 4 strategist just uh, tell us briefly about that so <clears throat> section 4 is basically a online education company started by scott galloway who is the nyu uh, stern professor who has a a fantastic uh, sense of humor more than anything else uh, and uh, those of you who followed uh, we work and the debacle we work he was one of the few guys who basically kind of called it much before i've been a big fan of him i've always read about uh, i've always followed his readings and his analysis and i think he does some really good work so he it's his online education company and you know when he started these online strategy cohorts i thought uh, uh, it'll be interesting to kind of you know mix and meet other people from different walks of life and see what the strategy means for them so it was a pretty good experience it's a two week cohort uh, and you where scott galloway teaches you online courses uh, teaches you more about strategy and his own framework and uh, it is good to be quasi back in school where you learn about you know uh, uh, what strategy is because uh, technology has fundamentally changed the way we basically look at how uh corporations are built as, as in even if you just take the last decade right or last 10 15 years it's it's ridiculous i mean how fast things are changing just not in technology but in terms of capital markets it's in, in it's insane i mean are uh, you have right now sign- several multi billion dollar companies which are valued more than large conglomerates i think i read recently that zomato is valued more than mahindra and mahindra right and <laughs> there is uh, there is a certain amount of uh, movement that's happening in the day and so what i also wanted to do was refresh my memory and refresh my understanding of if you look at capital markets if you look at valuation of corporations uh, from this new technology angle what does it look like and this was a course that was uh, about that and that's the reason why i did it it was quite interesting it was a very different uh, framework that i learned a few questions uh, don't think about them too much answer them very quickly in one or two sentences uh first one tell us about uh, one thing in your career that isn't on your official resume i would say janagraha the fact that i ran that uh, um, i wouldn't say run but i was head of marketing for this jagore 
a campaign that was about uh, you know encouraging indian youth to vote i'm a big political junkie i love politics and policy and that was one of those experiences which i really really enjoyed uh, professionally name one person who has left a deep impression on you and why i, I was a shaker kirani who's basically an axel partner uh, obviously again coming from the limelight of uh, freshworks is one of our earliest investors has been a great mentor and a friend uh, uh his his they say great and uh, really great investors do really good uh, two fundamental things one is when things are going really bad they have your back and when things are going really well they help you prioritize and i think shekhar does a fantastic job of both i've learned personally a lot from him and he's one of the most humble people i know i think uh, that humility teaches you something uh one book that you keep returning to i'm not a guy who goes back to reading the same book over and over but Recently I picked up this Peter Drucker book called Effective Executive and it's a fantastic book it's it, it talks a lot about what it takes to be a good executive uh, to be honest I'm reading it for the first time but the way the way it sounds it's it's a book that I think I'll keep going back to again and again because it teach, teaches you some fundamental disciplines irrespective of what you're doing an entrepreneur an executive your manager whatever pick up that book read it it's, it's very actionable the insights from a book uh, what does uh, money mean to you in one or two sentences Our oh, money is very easy it's freedom it's it's freedom to do what you want i think that's very clear for me uh, one important thing uh, you never start your day without it could be an activity a habit uh, even a beverage definitely a coffee but i think a to do list to do list are really important i think one of the best advices i've got is basically your mind is not for storage it's only for analysis never store stuff you dump everything on so that your mind is free to start analyzing it so first thing i do drink a coffee and write a to do list for that day and i go back through that checklist uh your favorite uh, hack to get yourself out of a funk out of a funk mm. again like i said i was a, i'm a political junkie so i watch i i re, uh, i listen to political speeches i listen to uh uh anything uh politics related it's really uh, there are a lot of fantastic inspiring speeches across ages uh, from right from lincoln and churchill to the the current favorite uh, leaders so uh, i either listen to them that really inspires me and gets me out of the um, out of a funk there's a there's a fantastic show called west wing which i'm a big 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 fan of i watch west wing every time i'm i feel low the other thing is my two kids i have a 5 year old and a 3 year old a son and daughter i think i spend time with them that really makes everything worth it makes me realize why i'm doing what i'm doing so those two things really help me last question uh, uh, one city that you would love to live in new york since i'm already living in i shuttle between new york and bangalore but new york is uh, like second home i've lived there many years uh, we have an office there and it's something that i i love okay excellent sir sure. we've come to the end of our uh, time uh, thank you so much again for making time for this uh, awesome conversation and i always like to say that i like to keep the conversation going thank you again sir absolutely ari thank you so much for having me fantastic uh, thanks a lot for all those who dialed in on this friday morning have a great one so that was sharat potrajus co-founder and the ceo of uh, mobstack uh, who's persevered with his company along with his co-founder ravi um, hopefully at some point we'll also have ravi uh, on the show that's it for this week's startup friday's conversation i'll be back next week with another episode Until then wherever you are listening to us I hope you're staying safe and doing well Have a great Friday evening and a wonderful weekend ahead